Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, my name is Mike Dice. I'm Elias. And we are here to talk about all things MMA, recap UFC 216. And then at 2.20 or 20 minutes after uh, the hour, I don't know which time zone you're watching from, Devin Clark, UFC fighter, Jackson Wink uh, fighter, will call in to talk about his upcoming fight in 10 days. 10 days from today, yeah, actually. But first of all... Card. Happy birthday. Ah, thanks, Mike. So for those of you who don't know, it's Elias' birthday. So uh, any big plans to celebrate? Uh, I think I'm going to have some ramen tonight and a bowl of pulque. Uh, I think a rice bowl. So that, that pretty much is the big, big, exciting plan. Uh, it's been good for me. I've been actually cutting down the last four days uh, kind of arbitrarily what I've been eating. So today I'm going to treat, treat myself. I already started. Uh, my wife made a cheesecake. She makes amazing cheesecake. I ate like half of it this morning. This is after like four days, Mike, of eating like water protein shakes and nuts and fruit. And then I just had like half a cheesecake. Going to have two bowls uh, for dinner tonight. So I'm pretty excited. Sounds like an awesome way to spend a birthday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm lucky. And spending it here with us. So Yeah, absolutely. Till till Devin Clark calls in at 20 minutes past, we're going to just basically talk. So if you have any questions, feel free to drop them into the chat and we will do our best to answer them. Um, otherwise, we'll just talk about UFC 216 and everything that happened uh, this weekend. So, plenty to talk about there. Did you see that I spoke to both of the main eventers' uh, coaches? I did. I saw yeah, that yeah. on uh, Flow Combat. You talked to the fun. coaches of both of them, and they uh, gave interesting perspectives. So, make sure to go check that out. That was a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. Thanks, man. Definitely unique perspective. Uh, something you know, everything, everybody, it's rushed to hear what the fighter thinks, but the coaches are often more silent in the sport than other sports and they pick up the phone more readily the like the night of or the day after a fight than fighters so right. it's 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 useful and it's and it's they're less easier. burnt out they haven't had the adrenaline dump right. that fighters have had not quite as um much. so anyways um devin clark calling in but let's focus about demetrius johnson right now oh man he set the record for title defenses with a win um in the fifth round, he submitted Ray Borg via armbar in perhaps the craziest submission you will ever see. Uh, I think John Morgan of MMA Junkies dubbed it the Mousetrap, which is a, a, a fun name for it. If it was wrestling, that would be a, a very fitting name because it would be on point with the gimmick. <laughs> yeah. But um, definitely something surreal, something that I don't know that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, for those of you who missed it, he did what could only be described as a German suplex. Um, and then in midair transitioning into a arm bar so that by the time Borg had kind of realized he had been slammed, he was already in an arm bar. It was incredible to watch. Uh, Demetrius Johnson retweeted something from one of the UFC uh, Twitter accounts that has it in slow motion. So check it out. Uh, but you know, you're, you're a guy who practices the sport um, jujitsu, at least. Uh, what did you think of this? And, and MMA for sure. And well. MMA Just at sure. a very low level. Right. But, but yeah, I've been fighting that for like seven years now and it's uh it's something that we were talking about that, Mike, like if we were, it was actually the next day at the gym at, uh, at foundation, we were talking, it was like, man, if we, if we, I don't actually Sunday. Yeah. If we were, uh, if we were all to just get together right then and like just drill it technique, no resistance, just get belly to back, switch your, and then in midair, once you elevate your, your partner, uh, release the, uh, your grips off of the waist and switch to, uh, switch to the arm. With no resistance, over and over, we did it for an hour. It would be hard to be that coordinated, right? If your partner was letting you, uh, it's it's definitely something that I've a person never seen uh, happen. I'm sure someone's seen it somewhere at some point. I've I've not seen it, and uh, it, it's just it's the coordination to do it is just is just remarkable. 
uh, to go from slamming someone to right into the armbar. It's 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 pretty cool. And, and you know, Demetrius Johnson, I th- I feel def- as if not if not the best armbar uh, in in speaking broadly in in MMA history, then it's certainly up there. I mean, it's so hard to get any type of straight armbar on someone in an MMA fight. It's hard to do it. It's hard to do it to, to good people in rolling. It's it's very hard to do it in jiu-jitsu competition. Uh, it's extremely hard to do it in, in an MMA fight unless there's a big skill gap between you and your partner. And at a highest level of MMA, any type of straight armor, I mean, let's think about it. Other than, like, old Hicks and Gracie and Ronda Rousey and Demetrius Johnson, we don't see straight arm locks of any type happen very often. It's, you know, fighters take pain, and they might get cracked, and they'll, they'll, they'll escape out. So to do it the way he did, and not just a straight arm bar, which he's done now and several times against amazing opposition, but to do it like he did again in the last round off of a suplex. I mean, it's just it's, – it, it really I – think, I, I, I think I agree with you, Mike, that it's, it's probably the craziest – it might be the, not only the craziest submission that I've seen, but the craziest, like – fight ending sequence I've seen at that level of MMA or that I can remember I, I can't remember one that that strikes me more than that we're we're in the immediate aftermath so it's really easy to be high up sure. on that one yeah. um, because it's so fresh it's so but fucking hard to do though right and it's a copycat sport you know somebody kind of does something and it adds a new wrinkle to the sport sure. and other people are kind of quick to pick it up it makes you wonder though like the creativity to think like the suplex isn't the end of the move like it can be used as a transition mm. to see like what that kind of opens up that door, mm. like people going forward. I don't think you can expect to, the next UFC card this weekend to see, you know, the next evolution of it, but it, it's interesting. I think yeah. people will start looking at ways to utilize it yeah, as I'm more than it. just, you know, slamming your opponent. I think you're totally right. It is people, you know, once we see something work well, especially if it's, uh, it's that's that's a you know it's not a it's not an esoteric move right it's two um, very fundamentally sound things done in conjunction in a timing that's astounding so like people can do it like people I, I wouldn't be surprised if 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 everyone's drilling that that's, that's the way it happens I remember after uh, uh, Anthony Pettis uh, bounced off the wall hit that what became dubbed. Uh, maybe by John Morgan, uh, the Showtime kick. I don't, I don't know who did it, but uh, Mousetrap is pretty funny. Uh, when he, after he did that against Benson Henderson, we were all like, so let's, let's test this cage strength and jump on the cage. And like people like me who have no coordination are just falling all over the place. But, you know, like you, everyone gets in the gym and tries stuff when it's crazy like that. Or the Ezekiel choke from what's the gentleman, the big heavyweight, the, the oh. Russian guy that hits it like every, t- every day he steps in the ring. Uh, and he hit it while he was mounted. The next day, we're in there trying to figure out, our, or when Tito Ortiz, uh, and if you know the name, put it in the comments, guys. I'm bad with that. Uh, Tito Ortiz hit that choke off to a, the side of Chow Sun and in the gym figuring out the next day, like, how can you hit it from that angle? So you're right, Mike. I, I'm sure everyone's drilling it. I'm sure everyone's working on that. <laughs> no doubt. No well, doubt. Well, the jumping off the cage, we, I've, you've seen, I know I've seen it a couple mm-hmm. people attempt it to less success than Anthony Pettis in the past, but also... Um, you know, you, we've seen Jose Aldo do that thing uh, where they back up and they put their foot on the cage and they jump off. Yeah. And Tony Ferguson, I think, did it in the Lando Venata fight too, um, which was in South Dakota, which Devin ah, Clark connection there. But, uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see. But now the debate switches that he's set the record for title defenses. Is he the greatest MMA fighter of all time? Well, I mean, you know, that's always a fun discussion. We can, we can never know. And you, it's always a, a weird amalgam of skills accomplishments and and, and other characteristics um more intangible and you kind of put that melange together and come up with your own 
your own determination. I've for a while now thought that he needs to be in the discussion. If we're talking about pound for pound skills, he's he's as if there's I mean there's, there's no one I don't think there's a there's a great argument that for anyone else being as well-rounded as, as he is, as excellent in so many areas as as apparently without big holes in their game as, as Demetrius Johnson. And that goes a long way, right? That's overall skill set. And then if you look at accomplishments, well, he's, he's racking those up. There, you know, the, the more ignorant fans out there talk about there being uh, a lack of competition of flyweight, and that's just absurd. They have some of the best athletes in the world at flyweight. He, he's making... It's a lazy thing because they, it's very lazy thing. he was the first champion. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's the first champion in the UFC, and we've had, we've had 125ers for many years that are great. Again, if they just don't know their history, they don't know their history. But if you look at, like, the people he beats, they're, they're amazing. You know, they're, he's, he's been, like, his biggest, closest rivals, he's beaten multiple times. Not like John Dotson or Joseph Benavides, who... Who's who? only lost to uh, Demetrius right. Johnson and Dominic Cruz? Yeah, exactly. You know, like you know, really high level competition. So he's he's put together this this streak of, of wins and this streak of title defenses. I mean, the only person to to argue, the last person to arguably beat him in that weight class is is Ian McCall when they had their inaugural uh, bat on that the judging was weird and, and they kind of got screwed and had to do a, a rematch. Ever since then, no one's really looked great for a whole fight against um, or even competitive for a whole fight against Demetrius Johnson. People can give him problems for or things to adjust to. Uh, but yeah, like if you look at his accomplishments, they're there. I, you know, it's a shame that, um, it's a shame that Anderson Silva doesn't have 11 because he, de- he deserves that. Travis Luter didn't make weight and that's why he doesn't have 11, even though he beat Travis Luter. But and any, there's any way you cut it. Demetrius Johnson is all time in terms of skill level, all time in terms of accomplishments, in terms of, you know, being up there in a discussion and then all sorts of fun little intangible things like, man, the, the pace he keeps, how consistent he keeps in a fight, Mike, and how he, he will. He can finish so late in a fight. There's a threshold usually. Like if, if a fight hasn't been finished in many fights between most fighters by a certain point, especially a five rounders, usually it'll go to the decision. There's so much fatigue. There's so, you know, these guys are so, and girls are so good, and they're so evenly matched. It's tough to 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 break someone down methodically and eventually like really break through at the end of it. You know, it's game winning shots aren't as common in fighting as they are in, in you know, in basketball and, and stuff like that or walk off home runs. So he's, I think he has like three third round uh, submission wins now, like he, three fifth round submission wins. Like he, he really, he makes adjustments well in there. Even when guys challenge him, it, he, he'll win in different ways when someone shuts down one part of his game. I think there's an excellent argument that he's the best of all time. If if you don't, if you think there's someone else in there, there's plenty of other great arguments out there to be had with other guys and girls. But I think he needs to be in that discussion. I think he needs to be in the discussion for the last two years, personally. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the most uh, interesting things after his fight was that him talking about wanting to kind of beat Ray Borg at Ray Borg's game, and he seems to do a lot of that. You know what I mean? You know who else was like that? George St. Pierre. St. Pierre was, and he kind of touched on this in the Bisping press conference, he's uh, working with a boxing coach because that's Bisping's strength, and he's, we've seen him do things like that in the past over the course of his career. Um, so, I mean, it, he's underappreciated. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, most others, but, you know, he's wants to um, extend the record, at least that's what Dana Light I think alluded to this mm-hmm. weekend. I'm remembering all the comments that happened, but uh, you know, and if he just keeps running that total up, it's, you know, to a point where it's almost unfathomable that yeah. it'll ever be reached. You know, I think that would do enough, you know, the so. Cody Garbrandt or TJ Dillashaw coming down challenging, I think would only further cement it. Sure. Those, those would be fun, fun challenges. Um, absolutely. Him going up. I know none of us mentioned it, but I know everyone's talking about, is he going to go up? He's going to go up. 
well, he, he, he's been up there. He, he became the number one contender at bantamweight, fighting people that were much bigger than him, and he, he lost a decision to Dominic Cruz. So, you know, just for those to, to kind of, like, address, you know, well, I don't know what people are saying in, in the comments, but I know I've seen some things out there. Even a lot of the questions he gets are like, hey, are you going to fight up at bantamweight? Maybe these guys, these, these guys will come down to him, but are you going to fight up in bantamweight? Listen, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I think he's right in demanding actual professional athlete money to do it. But he's done it already. Like I, I've seen a lot of folks on the on on, uh, on, on uh, discussion forums say, like you know, Anderson Silva. And listen, you can think Anderson Silva is better or more accomplished. That's fine. There's no real reason for me to disagree with you. But Anderson went up to light heavyweight, you know, so his his streak, you know, his his accomplishments are better. Well, <laughs> Demetrius Johnson went up to uh, bantamweight. He did more than go up to it like Anderson did. He campaigned there and he got up to a title shot. He went the distance with the champion. So. I, I it's it's tough to it's it's okay to have a different opinion of who's the best of all time, but it's definitely not okay to like underappreciate him like you say he is being currently. Well, let's talk about Tony Ferguson. Yeah. Impressive performance, beats Kevin Lee in the third round uh, to win the interim lightweight title. What what were your takeaways from that fight? Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, he fought he fought really well off his back. He made uh, interesting adjustments. He worked. Uh, he put to use on the ground so much of what he works with Eddie Bravo in camp um, and on the feet I'm sure he put to use what he worked with with his striking coaches on the feet because he did really well standing up uh, as well for most of the fight but you know like Eddie Bravo when we spoke to him um, earlier this week for this for this uh, article we spoke to him and Robert Fallis who is Kevin Lee's coach one of his coaches Eddie talked about setting uh, when you're on your back they expected one to be on their back which is interesting Tony Ferguson is a great wrestler but they figured hey we're going to be on our back. They considered this, uh, Mike, like they said, like a, a second Khabib Nurmagomedov camp. They said, hey, listen, very similar risks, right? Maybe a big shot on the feet, uh, but mostly takedowns, passing, maybe back control. We're worried about that and then ground strikes. So they, they worked out. They were ready to work off their back. They expected to. And Tony used timing so well. He used elbows to set up the triangle. Like he looked, for, he worked, like Eddie pointed out, he worked for this arm bar earlier in, in the round, I believe, in third round. Lee got out of it. He set it up with no strikes. He just went for the armor. It was a great armor. When he went for the triangle, he basically gave Kevin Lee the options of when he had his feet up and his hips. He gave Kevin Lee the options of retreating, standing up, and posturing up, and going back to the feet where maybe he didn't feel like he had a, such a great shot with Tony Ferguson, who's a long or great boxer. Uh, or he was going to just posture up and not stand, and then he was susceptible to elbows. And at that point, he kind of collapses back down and loses the posture. When, when you lose your posture, you're susceptible to, to things like a triangle choke. So the way he used strikes off of his back to set up submissions off of his back is amazing. And let's keep in mind, this guy is a, supposed to be a wrestler. A wrestler that comfortable off their back is, is super impressive. And any fighter at that level at being able to finish off their back and to finish a guy like Kevin Lee off your back is is pretty crazy the you know make no mistake about it on your you know and i'm sure eddie bravo will disagree with this being on your back is not a good place to be in a fight as a rule uh it's very difficult the guy and a girl on top has to do like one half thing half right to hurt you like a little elbow gets through and you got to do a lot of things right to get up or or submit someone and uh Tony Ferguson really showed some cool advancements in, in ways that, like, Kenny Florian used to set up things off his back with elbows, like when he hit uh, Joe Lozon with, with a choke. Like, a lot, of, a lot of people don't do that. They just grapple, then they strike, or they rustle, then they, then they grapple on the ground. And he combined all those things really, 
really seamlessly. Um, he took he took damage off the bat. That's the only worry is that like in this hugely dominant streak that Tony Ferguson has going is there's been a couple moments and a couple fights that he ended up dominating and all of which where he 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 gets he gets hurt. And I'm just worried that he won't get the the big money fight before he's you know been been tagged too many times. But in terms of that performance. Pretty impressive, right? Like he—he he wasn't just a, a bigger, dominant guy. He had to come from behind. He had to show a lot of different looks. Very interesting. And I, you know, I thought Kevin Lee fought well too. He's a young dude. I don't see any reason why he can't come back. Kevin Lee tagged him a few times, yeah. and <laughs> you heard um, him. You heard him bad. Yeah, which makes you wonder how the Tony Fer- Tony Ferguson Conor McGregor fight would go mm-hmm. if that came to fruition. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other mm-hmm. debate. No, it's very interesting. He'll probably get hit. Like it'll be how how he reacts to it. Yeah. Do you think right. he'll be tough enough to withstand Conor? And his fabled power? Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Connor has more punching power than all the guys that he's uh, faced. Connor does a lot of really good things, um, but he's—I mean, he's not George Foreman, though. I mean, you know, I mean, like in terms of <laughs> punching power, like it's just—it's not. He's an excellent striker, and he gets um, a lot of finishes um, because he does a lot of things well. It's not just like him beating a, a you know a, a bull carcass like that type of raw power. So. You know, no one. I, I would say none of these guys. None of these guys are in for an easy night if they let the other hit them on the chin clean more than twice. Like either one could put the other out for sure. Um, I think Tony Ferguson shows he can recover really well. Again, it's just at some point with that, do you get diminishing returns because you're taking you're taking abuse? Uh, but I think you know that's he, the key. He, yeah, no, exactly. Like the, I mean, the gas tank. You just, that's always been Connor's like. Well, that, yeah, I think Tony Ferguson will definitely have superior conditioning if if they go down. You know, I I don't even know what what the I don't I don't even like criticize Conor McGregor for it. Like I just think fighting is hard, and sometimes the other guy is less tired than you or responds to it better. So I don't even have like a point of criticism for him. But I think Tony Tony Ferguson has proven himself uh, it, it better into into late rounds. And I know everyone likes to talk about the second fight with with Nate Diaz and and how he went five rounds. And he did, and that was a great fight, kind of with Conor McGregor. But I don't think he – I mean, he lost the second half of that fight, and he, I don't think he deserved the win. So, yeah, I think Tony Ferguson, if he doesn't get caught with something clean, I think he has a lot of ways to win that, Mike. I think he can hurt Connor on the feet. I think he could submit him. I think he could take him down. Like, I think it's a pretty good matchup uh, as, far as, as far as an extremely dangerous matchup goes. You're facing someone as great as Connor McGregor. As far as that goes, I think it's a pretty good matchup for Tony Ferguson. I bet he feels real good about that fight. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that whole situation plays out and whether or not Tony Ferguson will get the shot or whether or not the Nate Diaz trilogy will come to oh. think. Uh, one interesting thing I just want to get out before we oh. call Devin Clark because it is 20 minutes nice. after is that I was thinking about this uh, and all the talk. If Connor doesn't fight December 20th, I hope he doesn't. He's not fighting until March 17th. Um, I think that's a lot of people. How active will he be? And I saw somewhere that, that he fair. said he wouldn't going to fight till January, but I don't think he can. He, I mean. If things go according to plan, he could fight January and turn around and fight in March. But it, Fuck, I hope not. I think While you dial all up pine on that, like, I just fucking hope not. This guy's gotten – let me see. We got two Diaz fights where he, he got either finished or hurt badly. He got stopped by Floyd. It's like three out of four fights he's, he's gotten hurt. This guy needs to rest, man. I yeah. hope he waits till March, if not sooner. Hello? Hey, Devin, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to talk to us and join the show. Yeah, no worries. How are things uh, going for you this week? Ten days out oh, from not, the fight. They're going great. Um, just got back to South Dakota yesterday from the fi- final touches on my camp. So 
um, yeah, going good and hanging out with family. Just left the butterfly house. So <laughs> what's the, uh, is that, is that a normal thing since you've been down at Jackson Winks going back home to South Dakota, you know, in between wrapping up training camp and, uh, um, the week of the fight? I usually don't, but this time since it's all the way in Poland, I figured I'd come home, see my family mm-hmm. first and then head out. Is it difficult to be away from your family in training? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I was gone for like almost seven weeks or six weeks. So, um, that's my daughter. She's, she's about to be four. So yeah, it's pretty hard. Now, Devin, you, this is Elias here. Thanks again for being on the show. Never had a chance to chat with you earlier, but you actually fought near us not too long ago. Um, you've had, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't feel quick to you. You're putting in the grind, but not too long ago, you were fighting in local Chicago shows. You fought at TFC. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing you there at, at that one, which is pretty cool. <laughs> How, have you yeah. have you been in uh, have you been to Chicago since then at all? Um, I haven't. Uh, that was my last time uh, being there, and last time fighting there. I remember I, that though. That was that was a fun fight. I was I remember I was really mad because the guy was talking a bunch of smack before, uh, the, before the fight. So. See, I never I never knew that. Yeah, you you rushed him right from the start in that fight too. Like you wanted to Jose Aldo this guy <laughs> off the bat with a flying knee, and that makes sense now. Well, cause, yeah, because um, I knew because he he'd always come out like crawling and stuff and try to be, you know take that wrestler's approach, and I knew he couldn't strike very well, so I, I just assumed he was just, as soon as I came at him like that he was going to hit his knees and he, and he did and I barely missed him with that knee. But, <laughs> that was pretty slick. Uh, it was it was fun. <laughs> what what got you interested in in MMA to begin with? Had you watched it since you were a kid, or is there specific you know um, moments that, that made you want to get into it? Pretty much uh, when I was in in, uh, in junior college wrestling, some of the guys they'd uh, they'd practice it, you know, just on the mats and stuff. And guys like Tommy Spear would come in. Ah. He was out that way in Minnesota. Uh, Tommy Spear and um, um, shoot, I'm forgetting his name now, but he has like a hundred hundred some fights. He's a heavyweight, but um, they would come in and practice and stuff. And so then when I was done wrestling, uh, my dad's friend had you know just a little amateur team and i went and checked it out and fell in love with it figured i was or found out i was decent at it (laughs) how how supportive of mixed martial arts are people in uh in south dakota would you say like what's the scene like there i've never visited um you know it's it's a newer newer concept here i think it just got legal tech like um legit about what three years ago Mm. and so before that it wasn't stuff wasn't sanctioned and stuff like that so it's kind of a new thing around here but people love the fact that um there's uh a ufc fighter here now and there's a couple guys that have are from here there in the ufc uh ben wins one of them so um but yeah they're they're picking up on it and they love it so um the rfa was coming here i think they did they've done like five shows here and pretty much every time they'd pack the house so it's been pretty good and you've actually fought in South Dakota a lot, especially on those RFA shows you mentioned. What was the home crowds like for you when you were fighting in South Dakota? Oh, they were awesome. I mean, the just the the venue we had it at was really great for it, and it would get so loud in there, and it was just a really good fight atmosphere. And one of these fights, I believe, was the one that was on uh, looking for a fighter that kind of got you noticed by Dana White and got you signed by UFC. But yeah. He wanted you to fight at 185. You made your debut at 185, <laughs> and then you moved back up to light heavyweight. What was that yeah. conversation like trying to get back to light heavyweight after they were so uh, set on you making that middleweight fight, uh, your home? Well, there there really wasn't a conversation because um, I fought at 85. I got in my debut. I got knocked out or whatever, and 
I was like, okay, next time I'll just have to do my weight cut differently and, you know, just make it work because I'm, you know, I wasn't really in a position to uh, negotiate that, what weight I wanted to fight at or, or as I didn't think I did anyways. But um, then they offered me the fight against uh, Josh Stansberry and I thought it was at 85. So I started cutting 85 mm-hmm. and they sent me the contract and I was like, this is at 205. <laughs> so I called my manager. I was like, what weight are we fighting at? And then they wanted to fight at 205 since it was short notice. And then I won that fight, and that's been my weight class since. So that, it seems like ahead. they would want people at 205. It's you know a lot of people said recently, especially that the divisions kind of thinned out. Like they would need names there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think it was just when he saw me in Sioux Falls, when Dana saw me in Sioux Falls, I looked a little smaller at the time. I was only walking around about 210, hmm. and just like fighting at a more natural weight. Um, so I understood why he wanted me at 85, but, um, at just pretty much right after that fight, I had a little growth spurt and then I was walking around about 220. So that, that made that cut to 85 pretty hard. And now I, when I'm not in fight camp, I walk around about 230. So, hmm. um, it just, uh, it makes more sense for me to stay at 205. I mean, obviously I could, obviously I can make the way at 85, but it's just not, I, I feel so much better at 205. I want to jump in real quick. Uh, I, you know, I it, that that fight and the cut, and you're talking about feeling better at at 205 reminds me of. So earlier uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about this conversations we had with uh, uh, with Robert Follis, Kevin Lee's coach, and and he did not at all. But he said, you know, the weight cut was normal. There was nothing bad. Like he had no excuses. But as a side conversation, we were talking about weight cutting, and he said, you know what? I wish you know we could. We, we didn't have it, uh, weight cutting. You know, he said, you know, outside of it, it's actually a, you know, paraphrasing the quote here, uh, but it's made a couple headlines. He said, outside of knockouts, um, which are things that just, you know, you can't really control that. Um, yeah. uh, outside of knockouts, weight cutting is the most dangerous thing, like, to his fighters, like the biggest health concern he has. Now, of course, you know, weight cuts could contribute to a knockout. Like, did you, did you feel, yeah. especially the way that one – when you know where you got you you got touched do you feel like if you think about it do you feel like the dehydration could possibly contributed to you going out oh 100 percent um because it was a glancing punch i've i've never been dropped besides that and um it yeah it wasn't even like a it wasn't that clean of a shot it was just a glancing punch and he he caught me and it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy and you know i was <laughs> surprised as anyone else and uh you know, so I, I think it was a lot to do with the weight cut. Um, the weight cut was kind of hard on me. I think I, I remember like a week, week, week and a half before I was weighing 220. So um, it didn't, like, it was my first time cutting down 85, and it just didn't really work out that well. And I, maybe I didn't do it right, and, that you know, that was a thing, but it did affect me in the fight. I felt good the first three or four minutes, and then my body just started kind of you know, shutting down on me. How hard was it um, mentally? Like going in, you're like, man, okay, I got signed by the UFC. I'm undefeated. Hey, oh, shoot, we're going to fight in, you know, it's a hometown fight in the UFC. All that positive stuff, did it make it that much harder than to like, oh, my gosh, my first loss as a pro, and then it was in my hometown, it was in the UFC debut. You've obviously come back super strong. Like you obviously have the mental strength to to come back for him. But at the time, I mean, how, how difficult was it for you? What was the key to get bouncing back mentally? It was a little difficult. Um, but the way the fight went, even though it was one round, I did really good up until I got knocked out. Yeah. So the support from the fans 
pretty much everyone I talked to was like, oh, that was bull crap, that was bull crap. Because it was, I think there was like four or four or five seconds left too in the round and they stopped the fight. I was still kind of moving, but I definitely, it was definitely a good call. But um, a lot of people, did, they didn't agree with it and they knew I was winning the fight and it was kind of just like a fluke deal, you know? And that's kind of how I look at it as too, is a fluke. Um, you put me up against that Alex Nicholson again, it'll be way different, especially at 205. So it's it it hurt a little bit at the time, but the fans they responded good to it, and they, you know, they didn't look at me any different for for losing that fight. So it you know it was easy to come back from. Well, you're at Jackson Week now, and uh, you played the role of Daniel Cormier in John Jones <laughs> Camp for UFC 214. Uh, how yeah. much did working day in and day out with John Jones help you, uh, especially as a light heavyweight? Oh wow, it's I mean, it's. Uh, it's one of those things you can't, you know, you can't replace that, especially being in a championship um, fight camp. So I've been in two now because I helped him before. Um, I think it was, was it 200 where he didn't, he, he yeah. couldn't fight, mm -hmm. but I, I helped him in that camp too. And that was when I was getting ready for my debut actually. But um, so I've been in two championship fight camps now, and that's something you, that you can always take from. Uh, just you know what he does in that camp and then also you know just just the you know just the grind of it and it it really sets the pace of uh where where you where i want to be because i want to be world champion and it really lets me know what i need to do or just a little bit of a guideline and then just hanging out with him his mentality uh, his fight iq is out out the roof so um just all the, all the time i got to spend with him it, it greatly helped did you uh, have to work to emulate Cormier, or are you guys just kind of naturally similar? <laughs> I, we're kind of naturally similar, but I had to slow down and actually be, you know, just a little bit more sloppy. Because, um, you know, he just he just kind of pushes forward and, you know, he, a little bit of head movement, but he just pushes forward, and that's, that wasn't really my style at all. Um, but it was easy. I think because I knew it wasn't my style, it was easy to do. Mm -hmm. and I, And John's a really good training partner, too, so I could trust him, but um i definitely had to change some things and and yeah and not, i had to go in there against john jones and try to not worry about getting hit which is <laughs> which is a hard thing to do but um you know it worked out and and it uh it turned out to be a good good thing for both of us i heard winkle john said that you were a better daniel cormier than daniel cormier <laughs> is that true i, I yeah i believe it <laughs> <laughs> i mean um i yeah because like I said, I don't like to get hit. My movements are a lot different. I I come in, I close the gap a lot, a lot quicker. Um, he kind of, you know, his style is his style, and I I just like to get in a little bit quicker than that. And my angles are a lot different. Um, I don't quite stand there, stand like that. I don't dip my head quite as much. I don't think. But and if I do, I put my hands up. So you don't drop your hands down to the side and leave the head open. <laughs> No, no, not against John. <laughs> not against John. Not against John Jones. Well, right. you've gotten to you know go through two training camps with you know some a person that a lot of people think is the greatest MMA fighter of all time, longtime light heavyweight champion. That's got to be a good measuring stick for you, feeling where you are in the division and what you're capable of. Like, where where do you, you know, do you feel like you're right there with him? Uh, you know, it's um, I do, but you know, obviously there's a difference because he has the experience. He's been there and done that. I haven't done it yet. So I, I, it wouldn't be really fair to put myself in the same category as him yet um, because I haven't accomplished what he's accomplished. But being able to keep up and doing all the things, yeah, I, you know, I, I can compete with the, with the top guys in the, in, the, in the division without a doubt, and I 100% believe that. 
Um, and a lot of that has gained, been gained from working with him. Now, in the light heavyweight division, Volkan Izdemir, he's uh, kind of risen really quickly to the title shot. He made his debut, I think, la this year, maybe even. Yep. And he's already, um, you know, potentially on the cusp of getting this title shot. You're 2-0 and at light heavyweight in uh, the UFC. Uh, do you see that maybe potentially being in your future, that you're, you know, a couple fights, uh, some spectacular finishes, you know, some microphone work, and you could be right there in the mix too? Oh, absolutely. The division, you know, it's not the biggest division. So um, you, you you beat the right guys, knock out the right people. You're definitely moving up quick. Uh, and, and I'm in a really good situation right now. Uh, Jan, Jan Bohovic, he's, what, number 15. And he's he's fought some really tough guys. He's, I mean, he fought Gustafson, um, Corey Anderson, Pat Cummins, uh, Latifi. It's you know he's got a good streak of guys that he's he's gone against, and he looked good against them too. And the thing is, none of them have finished him. So uh, with a finish, that puts that gives, gives me really good leverage. And you know that's what we're aiming to do is finish this guy uh, because no one else in the division has done it. So you know that's that's that'll set me apart a little bit, and that'll get me bigger fights and move us up quicker in the cormier jones food uh, feud you're obviously team jones i'm assuming uh but yep. does part of you <laughs> kind of see like rooting for cormier to hold on to that belt so that if you get that title shot that he's the <laughs> champion because jackson and winklejohn seem to have the playbook against him that's the only reason i'd root for him yes just so i can go against him as uh uh take his belt away and bring it back to jackson wink but you know i don't who knows if that's going to be the case? Uh, Vulcan, he's he's really good, so um, we'll see what happens there. It'll be a good fight, but um, it, it, I would love to fight Cormier and take his belt. That would just be the biggest thing in the world to me. But you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out, and you know, it's either way, I'll I'll take that belt from whoever. So. <laughs> how do you guys process that? I'm just kind of curious in, in the mindset with. Um... John being stripped again, and now Cormier is the champion again. I mean, you know, everyone views the world from their own perspective. And you guys, you know, being teammates and John Jones, obviously if your guy just got finished knocking out a guy, it feels it's going to feel strange for you all to see the guy who got knocked out be the champion. What is that? Does that add to to the to I guess to to the to gunning for DC? Like, I mean, how are you processing all this unfortunate um. stuff? I guess it. I mean, that does add to me wanting to fight him and beat him. But at the end of the day, we all know who who won the won those fights, and and um, I personally saw John train for those fights, and I know he earned those fights. So um, my perspective is a little bit different mm -hmm. than some people's. But you know, it doesn't. I don't think it. For me, it doesn't take away about uh, what he did, but definitely adds to the fire a little bit that DC doesn't really deserve that belt. He didn't earn that belt. And you know it wasn't really in his in his hands, but um, he does have that th that belt by default. So it it would be uh, that does that does sweeten the pot to uh, fight him for that. I had one one last personal follow up from I guess it's kind of from what we were chatting about earlier. But there was I don't know if you guys seen this documentary uh, called Strongman. It's on Netflix and this. This uh, guy, Eddie Hall, he just now became the world's strongest man. This takes place a couple okay. of years ago, and he's training to be the world's strongest man. You know, these these crazy events that are like pulling airplanes and all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff, right? He's this British dude, and he talks about, he talks about uh, in his view, the difference between 
um, I guess, what is it, arrogance and, and, and confidence. And he kind of said that, you know, arrogance is believing that you're the best in the world and confidence is, is knowing you are. And he's saying, you know, you're arrogant on the way up. You know, you have the self-belief because you got to. Like, I can do it. I can hang. I can do whatever. And then, but once you've actually gotten the experience and you've, you've done X, Y, and Z, and you prove yeah. to yourself you belong to, you have like true, true confidence. I mean, clearly you're a confident man, and clearly you've probably long believed you can, you could be and win in the UFC and, and go beyond just being in the UFC. When yeah. did, when do you believe? You think about it, Devin. When do you believe that you like really believed you belonged? Like when you actually, it wasn't just like a young man's confidence, but like no, no, no. I showed myself I can do this in the UFC. Uh, probably. You know, it 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 started when I started training with John mm. and being able to go in there and compete with John in the room. They, that helped with the confidence. But still, it, I still had to win a fight in the UFC at that point. So, um, really, after after my last fight, I guess is mm. when, because um, then after that, that's that's two two wins in the UFC. Um, you know, and and one win's good, but maybe it was by chance or whatever, you know, all the thoughts that goes, go through fighters heads, um, with this sport. But after, yeah, definitely after the last one, I know I belong here. I know I can win. Um, and the, my skill set has grown. And along with that, my confidence grows. Um, I know that I can, I can put the work in. I can, um, I can, uh, compete in these fights and win these fights and starting to do it where I can do it at a, in a good fashion, starting in the, the knockouts and putting on these good performances. Um, at, up until this point, I've just it's been just a good learning curve. Huh. Every fight's just a huge chance to learn. And I've uh, my, uh, my past two wins, I, they both went to decisions, but uh, I look at that as that's just time gained in the cage, experience, huh. experience gained. So it's, uh, yeah. Very true. So it's your first professional fight overseas. What kind of advice did the guys at Jackson Wink give you about traveling such a long distance for a fight, and especially when you're trying to cut weight? Uh, just, you know, we we didn't really – we haven't really dwelled on that. At the end of the day, it's still a fight, and I'm going to show up to fight either way. The uh, biggest thing is just uh, dealing with the jet lag a little bit, you know, not just crashing right when you get there, staying up a little bit, try to adjust to the time zone, stay active, stay focused. Uh, weight cuts, you know, not not really too much of an issue. It, you know, I'm sitting about 220 right now, perfect spot. I cut that weight real easy. Um, so I mean, besides that, it's just you know, it's another fight. You know, a little bit longer of a plane trip, but mm -hmm. you know, we'll deal with it and you know, go out there and fight. Now, I believe you were training for this camp with Marcin Tybura, if that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> who's yeah. a Polish guy? Did he give you any kind of tips <laughs> about Poland? Uh. Uh, just that it was really nice. You know, he, of course, he talked up his country, and no, he didn't give me any tips on John. Um, <laughs> they, I think, they used to train together and they're friends and stuff. But you know, it's professional. It's very, he's very professional about it, and he's not really picking sides. You know, me and him are teammates now. He's at Jackson Wink, so, um, but he's not. You know, he's not leaning one way or the other to benefit either one of us, except for you know giving me good, uh, good practice time you know, going hard in practice. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Best of luck to you in your fight. We can't wait to see it and uh, see you inch closer to that title shot. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Wow, just amazing stuff from uh, Devin Clark. He's yeah. a, a young. I, I don't. I don't want to call him a prospect because he has three UFC fights. Under yeah, his at this belt. point, right? Yeah, he's you a UFC I mean? surging contender now. Right. Wow, at this yeah. point, you're right. In a division that needs a little bit of life injected sure. to it. You sure. know, these are a lot of the people you've seen in the heavy light heavyweight division are are familiar names, and this is a fresh face. And yeah. um, he has everything. You know that. You wish that middleweight fight wouldn't have been forced on him because he could be <laughs> an undefeated fighter right, right now. Right. Uh, not that a one loss is anything to you know shake your fist at, but no, no. Um, it affects your pay. It affects everything. Right? right. But the marketing of him being an un- you know look at what's worked for Vulcan that yeah. he could be that right now. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Even with this, if he beats if he beats Jan, he, his next opponent's got to be top ten. And then if he wins that one, you could make it at that point. All, all bets are off. You could get a title shot. So. You know, uh, yeah, he's still done a great job of making up ground fast. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it is it is too bad that he that he had to cut weight um, for that debut. But you know, all's not lost. One one uh, one loss is not a bad thing. <laughs> no, and he's he's two and zero in the division, and he's got the you know the world in front of him. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how his year plays out. Yeah. Um, he's you know working with the best, and you hear so many fighters who go to Jackson Wing talk about how much it elevates their game and, you know there's several of these big gyms that i think fall in that category team mm-hmm. alpha male um american top team come to mind uh there's a lot of gyms in socal that you could probably pick any of those sure, out kings sure. um but you know johnny hendricks just made the switch yeah. to go there yeah. and he said that after his first day there uh he you know felt that this was the right decision and he's going to do all his camps going forward there after one day um, and it, you know, it makes sense with the amount of fighters they have there that, you know, he's training with some of the best athletes yeah. in the world, John Jones on a regular basis that, you know, that's invaluable experience. You can't really get everywhere. I think that's right. I mean, I have, I have my very specific, uh, um, from afar opinions on, on, and Greg Jackson and his qualifications, but I mean, they've got bodies, they've got altitude and they've got some great coaches. They've got Izzy Martinez, who's actually from the Chicago area. He's out there he all the time. A gym. Yeah, I think again. In that's right. Is he style? Yeah, you win. Yeah, no, absolutely. They got wrestlers, but they also got. I mean, he's a he's a top high school coach, but he's also uh, he's got uh, the Izzy style MMA gym. A lot of great guys there, and he's in. He's out. He's down at Jackson Wink all the time. You know, Mike Winklejohn himself was an, was an an incredible kickboxer, and he's he's from everything I hear a really devoted and involved hands on coach in a lot of ways. Like they've got, it's, it's hard if you take great great athletes like Devin Clark and you put him with a bunch of other great athletes like and you walk away something good's gonna happen you know like some injuries but some some good skills are gonna develop so you have so many top dudes like that i i, I don't i i don't I, I understand why he he and many others make make that trip there you know like that what kind of what what other prospect that was you know fighting in willowbrook uh two years ago um you know, what other way would a prospect, uh, you know, was fighting Willowbrook two years ago, get a chance to do two championship camps with John Jones? Like, if you're in the room with him, if you're there, right? So, it, it allows guys like him apparently some some really incredible opportunities. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this fight goes for him. And that's a big one. Three and oh, he's you know right there on the cusp and right, you know, next guy in line perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great talking to him. Yeah, Love having he was fighters great. talking the show, especially. I'm always appreciative when it's close to fight time for him. Um, so nice of him to do. He's traveling between states and continents, right. and he's still making time. we got to have him on afterwards he's at, for sure. He's at home visiting his family. And he made time for us. And he made time for yeah, us, which I, means the world. It really does. That's really cool. Thank you, Devin. Well, that pretty much wraps up the show. Thank you for everybody who tuned in. We uh, enjoyed talking with you all about UFC's 216. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the fight as much as we did. Um, you can follow Extra Rounds on Twitter. We'll let you know 
who's going to be on the show next week, which will be same time, same place, Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page, 3 p.m. Eastern, streaming live. Um, and if you don't have time to watch the show live on Sports Illustrated's MMA Facebook page, you can listen to it later on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or we'll upload the video to YouTube. So once again, thank you for everybody tuning in. We will see you next week.